0: If you want to know why people do what they do, most often it's caused by jealousy, selfish ambition and money. Those are the three major motivators to make people do what they do, and that's what the Pharisees were
1: doing. Welcome to Moments of Hope, the radio teaching ministry of David Chadwick and Moments of Hope Church. On today's broadcast, David continues our deep dive into the Gospel of John, taking us to the part of chapter 12 which is often referred to as the Palm Sunday story. Here's David with the first section of a message called The Triumphal Entry.
0: Let's begin our study of the Gospel of John as we continue our journey through John by starting in the book of Daniel chapter 9. Now why in the world would I start in Daniel chapter 9? It'll all make sense in just a second. Uh, Daniel is in the Babylonian captivity. He's about 90 years old at this point. He is a grizzled saint loves the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and might. And as he's studying the book of Jeremiah that I'm convinced he had before him, he saw that the Israelites were going to be in the Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And now he is in Daniel 9 at the end of those 70 years, and he's seeking God with all his heart. He's praying and confessing his own sins, the sins of the nation, and he's basically asking God, what are you going to do next? How are you going to restore us to that land and the promises that you have made to us? And as he's pouring out his heart in prayer, asking God to answer him, Gabriel, one of the archangels of God, biblically we can see there are several archangels of God, Michael, Gabriel. We think that Lucifer was one of them who fell to become Satan, the angel of light. He's uh, an angel of darkness. He's a very powerful archangel fallen into sin, and he is the one who wants to kill, steal, and destroy our lives. But there are other archangels available to God who did not rebel, and Gabriel is one of them. He's the same Gabriel who appeared to Mary during the birth narrative of Jesus. So Gabriel appears to Daniel in answer to his prayers, and in Daniel 9, verses 24 through 27, he says these words, Seventy weeks are deemed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there will be seven weeks Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing... And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for a half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifices and offerings. And on the wing of abomination shall come out... Who, one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out of the desolate toward. What in the world is this talking about? Well, from Gabriel, Daniel hears a prophecy that over the next 490 years there's going to be a something special that happens in the history of the restoration of Israel. And he says that there's going to be a decree where the people of God in the captivity will be restored to the promised land Jerusalem reestablished as a major city in the world. And as best scholars can behold this particular message that decree happened with Arctic Xerxes releasing Nehemiah to return to rebuild the walls in 445 BC. Then if you look at this 62 week time period times seven you know that's 483 years and what Daniel is hearing from Gabriel is a prophecy that from that moment 483 years later there's going to be a prince, an anointed one, who will come into Jerusalem and establish God's kingdom like never before. And that's going to be after those 62 weeks. Now notice there's a minus of eight, seven plus one that's there. So if you look at 445 B.C. and you extract outward that 483 years according to the Julian calendar, not our calendar, that's 360 days per year. That takes you to April 32 A.D. April 32 A.D. that there will be one, a prince, an anointed one who will come in to the city of Jerusalem and reestablish God's kingdom as he desires. Now, One of the reasons I love God's Word is because of its specific prophetic truth that is coming forth over and over again as you read especially the Old Testament, interpreting it with the New, and this is one of those occasions. Now, let's move to our verses in John right now and continue our study there with that background information. Uh, In John, the 12th chapter, we will start with verses 9 today and go through 26. I just want to cover what John covered last week in verses 9 through 11. Many thanks to John for his faithful exposition of God's Word and setting it up for me to be able to move forward today. We see in verses 9 through 11 that the religious leaders had had enough. When Lazarus was raised from the dead... People were thronging to follow Jesus and Lazarus became a celebrity as you can well imagine as people saw him knowing that he had been dead for four days and was now alive and walking in their midst. And so as Lazarus' popularity increased and pointed uh, to Jesus as the Messiah and as the people started thronging to Jesus and following him, the religious leaders made two decisions. One, they decided to kill Jesus. They made the plot behind the scenes secretively to kill Jesus. Secondly, you see in 9-11, they also decided to kill Lazarus. You, you know, if you don't like a message, silence it. And that's one of my concerns with what's going on in American culture today is with a particular position regarding issues. Uh, There is an apparent marriage with those who hold that position with big tech oligarchies and those oligarchies aren't allowing the other side to be heard. And that's always dangerous for a culture if you don't allow both sides, three sides, four sides to be heard and let people make their decisions by their own, looking at the issues, praying through the issues and deciding themselves when only one thought life is there when there's group think, it's dangerous for a culture, and I've always believed that when people try to silence your opinion, it shows how weak your opinion really is. That's what's going on in our culture, and it's what was going on then. They didn't want Jesus' view to be heard. They didn't want Lazarus to be seen publicly as evidence of what Jesus taught to be true. So what do you do? If you don't like the message, you kill the messenger or jurors here, plural. So that's what happened. Uh, There was the plot to kill Jesus and to kill Lazarus by the religious leaders. Now, let's pick up the story as we move forward. The next verse is verse 12. The next day. Now, what's the next day? So when... Mary anointed Jesus' feet with her oil that was worth a year's worth of pay that John again covered so well last week. That happened on a Saturday. And on the next day, Jesus was in Bethany with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus and others. On the next day, which is Sunday, the first week of Passion Week or Holy Week, as we call it today as Christians, On that Sunday, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast. Now, what feast? It's the Feast of Passover. When does that take place? Around April. So it was at this feast that Jesus makes a decision to come to Jerusalem from Bethany. Now, let me give you some insights. First of all, you need to know that the Feast of Passover was like, well, if you can imagine Super Bowl in an American city. For a week, it is just festive, joyous, celebrative, singing, partying. Just a great long week of celebrating the Passover, which is when God allowed a lamb, a perfect unblemished lamb to be shed, and that blood was painted over the portals of the doors of faithful Jews during the Egyptian captivity, and the angel of death passed over those doors with the blood, which is eerily similar to the cross when you place it in a portal situation over doors. The angel of death passed over those Jews and then killed the firstborn sons of all the Egyptians. You say that's cruel. That was God's ultimate um, judgment upon the Egyptians' godlessness, and they're keeping his people in captivity for all of those hundreds of years and cruelly treating them in every possible way. So in celebration of the Passover, uh, and every year the Jews would celebrate it, remembering that through that blood of the perfect unblemished lamb, the angel of death did not kill them. They had this celebration in Jerusalem. So Estimated by Josephus, the early church historian, uh, there were approximately 3 million people there. The the normal population was 600,000. It swelled to 3 million people during this Passover celebration. One interesting insight is that on this Sunday, 265,000 lambs would come in during this Passover beginning of the week and Then those 265,000 would be shed throughout the week for the forgiveness of all the people's sins. Families would buy them, other people would get them and sacrifice them for the atonement of their sins celebrating Passover. But one particular lamb would be picked out from those 265,000 and that one particular lamb had to be perfect, unblemished, male in every possible way and then that lamb was picked out on Monday of that week, and then on Friday at 3 p.m., that lamb would be sacrificed on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, for the sins of everybody, to last for another year until that next Passover. Now keep that in mind because that's so important. Remember in John 1:29, when John the Baptist looked at Jesus. He was Jesus' cousin, born six months before Jesus. When he looked at Jesus before he baptized him, he said, Behold, remember, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul calls Jesus the Passover Lamb, the Paschal Lamb who died in our place. So, Jesus is the Lamb of God, the perfect, unblemished, male Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, just giving you a forward look. Guess when he died? Friday at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. At the exact moment, the Paschal Passover lamb was being sacrificed on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement for the sins of the world. Now, this is on Sunday during the feast when those 265,000 lambs are coming into the city They heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So the crowds heard that Jesus was leaving Bethany and coming to Jerusalem. Remember, Bethany is only about two miles northeast of Jerusalem. They heard he was coming. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. Now, branches of palm trees. um, Think in terms of the symbol of the Tar Heel, that's my school, for the University of North Carolina. Think in terms of the Tiger Paw for you Clemson fans out there. Think in terms of a blue devil for you Duke fans out there. That shows you right there that God's not for the Dukies because who would want to root for a devil? Okay, gonna keep moving on. Remember your school and its insignia that signifies your school's particular mascot, okay? That's basically what the branches of the palm tree were. They were insignias of Israel, and they represented Israel itself. So that's why they were chosen to welcome Jesus into the city. And they went out to meet Jesus, crying out, Hosanna. Okay, so they're going to be crying out from Psalm 118, verses 23 through 25. And the first word is Hosanna, which means save us. That's what the word means, save us. It doesn't mean praise us. Or praise God, it means save us. They're in Roman captivity. They're under the oppression and bondage of Roman tyranny. So the people remember the days they were free, especially under King David. They're thinking the Messiah is going to be a continuation of King Davidic rule. And so when Jesus enters, they're thinking he is the Messiah. He is King David type of person to free us from Roman oppression. So the word is Hosanna, save us. Then blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So that's what's happening. The people are singing Psalm 118, 23 through 25, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now One of the beauties of looking at the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is they are four witnesses to different events in Jesus' life. So if you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all of them have the triumphal entry, as it's called, as a part of their Gospel narratives. And if you look at the others, you'll see there are some other insights that happen here is one, as the people were singing, you know, crying out, and and these were massive throngs, palm-waving, voices united, looking for victory, the religious leaders said to Jesus, quiet them down, tell them to be quiet. Now, Now, they're motivated, folks, by their jealousy, by their loss of power, which means a loss of money. If you want to know why people do what they do, most often it's caused by jealousy, selfish ambition, and money. Those are the three major motivators to make people do what they do. And that's what the Pharisees were doing, uh, motivated by these particular greeds. Uh, They come to Jesus and want the crowds quieted down. And here's what's so interesting. Jesus says to them, Look, if they stopped singing and crying out to me, the rocks themselves would start crying out to me and praising me. And what's so fascinating is as you're, you think about that, Jesus is saying if the people got quiet, the little rocks would cry out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the big rocks would cry out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There'd be a concert there of singing among the rocks. And some have joked and said this is the first biblical instance of a rock concert. I'm so sorry. But maybe that makes the point, okay, that that Jesus knew the power of praise, and he knew that he was worthy of all praise. If people don't do it, creation itself will cry out that Jesus is Lord. So the religious leaders didn't like this crowd crying this out. Now, what's interesting, you have an insight into what happened maybe before Jesus came into Jerusalem in verse 14. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written Fear not, daughters of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now, a couple thoughts here. Again, you look at the other gospel narratives and you can fill in some blanks. Jesus had sent out two of his disciples before he came from Bethany into Jerusalem, and they were to go to a certain man, we don't know his name, and say to him, the master has need of your colt. And the guy who owns the colt just goes, Yeah, okay, he must have been a follower of Jesus at some level or another. So he graciously gives a colt to Jesus. And that colt is now what Jesus is mounted on as he comes into the city. Now, you need to know this too that whenever a conquering king would come into a city, he could ride on one of two animals. He could ride on a colt, which symbolized that he was just simply offering the city peace. He wasn't going to oppress it tyrannically. He was just offering that city peace and they would be under his protection. It was a good thing. If the king who conquered the city came in on a white horse, he was saying, I am the king, you are under my authority and you are to do whatever I tell you to do. Now, notice here that when Jesus entered Jerusalem, he entered on a donkey, a a colt.
1: You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in a conversation about the biblical perspective on pain and suffering. Stay with us, we'll be right back.
2: What do you do when you began drinking at ages 10 to 12? Where can your life go when you started abusing drugs at ages 13 to 15? You want to be part of the fabric of society, yet you emotionally stop maturing the day your addiction took over your life at the tender age of 12. I'm Tony Marciano, president and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission, and we have served people who have stood at the intersection of homelessness and addiction for well over 80 years. But what is it that they really need? Well, beyond building a foundation of long-term sobriety in their life, how does one obtain the life skills they never learned but desperately need to thrive in society. You know they should have learned them growing up but now they're an adult. What do they do and where do they go? Let me tell you where they come. Community Matters Cafe is more than just good food and house roasted coffee. It's an extension program of Charlotte Rescue Mission that is transforming lives. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community. You know, and after men and women graduate from Charlotte Rescue Mission's 120-day Rebound Men's and Dove's Nest Women's residential programs, they have the option to enroll in the Life Skills Program at Community Matters Cafe. And during the six-month program, students learn a variety of critical skills in a restaurant setting that help them get and keep long-term employment. Community Matters Cafe is located diagonally opposite the Panther practice fields at the corner of Cedar and West 1st Street. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church in this important life-changing ministry in our community.
1: I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for being with us today. Hi,
0: Jen. It is wonderful to be with you.
1: In this morning's e-devotion, you gave us an interesting twist on the phrase, no pain, no gain.
0: Well, Jen, it's been used many times in the past, and oftentimes coaches with athletic teams use this phrase again: "No pain, no gain." A maxim that's been around for a long time. It's one again that's been repeated repeatedly. But let's examine it though through a biblical lens, a biblical worldview. We live in a world that teaches us that pain or suffering needs to be avoided at all costs. Nobody wants to go through any pain whatsoever, so most likely we try to medicate ourselves in the pain as an example of how to avoid it. But God's perspective on suffering is quite fascinating, indeed different. He teaches us to rejoice in our suffering, not only in Romans 5, 3, but in James 1, verse 2. Why? Well, Paul gives us this insight in Romans 5, verses 3 through 5, that suffering produces endurance And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Mm -hmm. So it seems like the highway to hope must first go through the problem of suffering. Mm -hmm. Suffering, endurance, character, then hope. Notice the sequence. Something leads to something which leads to something which in the end is very good. So what's the origin of a lot of hope in our lives? It can be suffering. The resurrection was preceded by a cross, the cross to a crown. When pain happens, notice I said when pain happens because nobody escapes it on this side of eternity. We must choose to learn from it grow from it, be humbled by it. It's one of life's best teachers if you will allow it to do so. So let me say it one more time. Where there is no pain, there's no gain.
1: Mm, This is so good. And it reminds me of some counsel that I received one time where the counselor just looked at me after I just talked and talked and talked. And they said, I think your issue is you're afraid of pain. Hmm. And I had never heard this before like I really I think our operating system as a human is to be afraid of pain but with Christ, we can do all things and face all things. And I also think of having going through childbirth. Oh, you yes. know, there is a great hope at the end of all of that pain.
0: And biblically, that image is given several times mm-hmm. that the pain of giving birth to a child is terrible, but once that baby is placed on your chest, and of course, uh, Jen, you know this better yeah. than I would ever, uh, that pain is minimized yeah. and you just rejoice in the child and don't remember the pain as much.
1: I think I think this is a timely word especially as we look around the world and see the earth groaning and and in pain as well
0: <laughs> you know jen i am a christian largely because i have done a world's religions comparative study and the christian faith is the only one with god on a cross hmm. It's the only one that says God entered into our suffering, understands our suffering, knows everything we're going through as we're experiencing that suffering, and is with us saying, I'm not only with you, but I'm working this together for good. Just trust me that through your cross, there is a crown as well.
1: That's so good. Thank you so much, David.
0: And thank you, Jen. And listeners, if you would like to receive this written daily Moment of Hope from me, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe. there free free of charge delivered in your inbox every morning at 7 o'clock to hopefully, from my heart to yours, begin your day with a moment of hope.
1: This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Again, come join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for unity in our state.